You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. It was October 14, 1987. An 18-month-old girl was playing in her aunt's backyard in Midland, Texas, under the watch of her teenage mother. Her mother turned away briefly to take a call, and the little girl fell through an eight-inch wide hole into a well 22 22 feet down. She was wedged into a 12-inch space. And this began a 58-hour rescue that attracted international attention and became one of the greatest rescues of history, the rescue of baby Jessica. Rescuers slowly and painstakingly drilled a uh, 26-foot parallel shaft, which was an immense challenge, While digging to Jessica, oxygen and warm air were pumped down to her. Workers sang to her nursery rhymes. And eventually, rescuers dug deeply enough and then tunneled over 63 inches through solid bedrock to Jessica. And on the evening of October 16, baby Jessica was rescued. Jessica is now married with two children and lives in Midland, less than two miles from the well. And after seeing the well many years later, Jessica told People Magazine, to me, it's a symbol that it could have taken my life, but it didn't. I had God on my side that day. My life is a miracle. The Christian life is similar. You can probably think of times in your Christian life where you were in dark spiritual holes, caught in sin that could have taken your life, but didn't because Jesus rescued you. Believers sometimes fall into egregious sins. Their faith sometimes wavers, but Jesus doesn't leave his people in dark holes, nor does he allow them to remain comfortable in them. His grace is relentless. He pulls his own up and out to experience his light again. Have you fallen away? Has your child, your spouse, your friend? He confessed Christ. He was baptized into the church. He followed Jesus for a time, but now he's far from God. She's not walking with Jesus. She's pursuing her sin. She's in grave danger, though she doesn't seem to care. Your heart is broken. So whether you're in a dark hole or your loved one is, maybe both, take heart. The grace of Jesus is relentless. Jesus will lose none of his sheep. When his sheep stray from him, he goes and he gets them and he brings them back to himself. None of his sheep stray beyond his search and rescue precisely because they belong to him. Consider the significance and comfort of baptism. It's the mark that Jesus places on his covenant people. The mark of his covenant promise to them. Our comfort is not in our confession, but in the promise and faithfulness of Christ. And through baptism, Jesus makes us a promise which summons us to believe. 
just as gospel preaching does. Jesus gives baptism as a gift to his covenant people to communicate his grace to them and the baptized need that gospel when their faith wavers. Have you considered how Jesus uses his effectual word and sacraments, even church discipline, to bring his wandering sheep back to him? We must not underestimate the power of the gospel working through Christ's means of grace. And receiving the relentless grace of Jesus never leads us farther away from Jesus. See, unbelievers, hypocrites, use grace as an excuse to continue to sin. But for believers, relentless grace delivers them from sin and restores the joy of their salvation. We're all prone to wander off and we all need the promise and comfort of God's relentless grace. I need good news this morning. You do too. Here it is. Though your flesh is weak and your faith sometimes wavers, the grace of Jesus defends, keeps, and restores you, his beloved sheep, unto eternal life. Jesus knows what you will face. He knows how weak you are, and he knows how to sustain you. Jesus gives you, his beloved sheep, gospel grace for your spiritual weakness, during his ministry, Jesus used the shepherd-sheep analogy to describe his relationship to his people. One of my favorite examples is Luke 12, where Jesus taught his disciples how to fight off fear and worry. He said, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In John 10, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. In the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew, Jesus compared his little ones, his disciples, to sheep. If one of his beloved sheep stray from him and his flock, he goes after them. And Jesus said, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus will never lose even one of his beloved sheep. Now here in Matthew 26, Jesus furthered the shepherd sheep metaphor. In verse 31, he said, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He was the shepherd that would be struck. And when struck in the trauma of it all, his little flock of 11 would be scattered. Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this night. But what had Jesus given them before their trial? Presumably, all of the disciples were baptized. In the upper room, Jesus prayed, I have given them your word. That same Passover night, Jesus gave them the supper, the sign and seal of his body and blood given for them on the cross. That night he prayed for them, a prayer of assurance and comfort. They needed the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Especially consider they would abandon him that night, and that's what he'd been giving them all along, sustaining them all along. They received his grace by faith, and he gave it to them through his teaching, 
sacraments, and even prayers. And receiving his grace didn't exempt them from sin and wavering faith. Believers who receive lavish grace from God still sin and falter. But even so, the shepherd graciously preserves them. Who needs a piece of bread the most? Those who are hungry and and weak. Who needs a drink the most? Those who are thirsty and dehydrated. Remember last week. Why is the word and sacraments ministry of a local church so vital for our well-being? Because Jesus knows what you and I face every day. He knows the relentless attack of the world, the devil, and our flesh. And he knows how strong the gravitational pull of sin is for you and me. He gives us grace in our weakness to preserve us through dark times. And our sinning doesn't mean we haven't received his grace. No, it proves even more how much we need his grace. Part of belonging to Christ is being aware of your desperate need of Christ. Jesus wants you, his beloved sheep, to understand your sinfulness and spiritual weakness and to depend on God. The supper concluded. Jesus sang a hymn with his 11 disciples and they all headed out to the Mount of Olives, a beautiful place, I'd imagine, From the nighttime olive groves of the mountain overlooking Jerusalem, Jesus said these startling words to his 11. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus quoted Zechariah 13 verse 7 and applied it to himself and to them, Jesus the shepherd would be struck down. The same word is used of Moses murdering the Egyptian and God killing Herod because of his vanity. Jesus would suffer the devastating blow of God's righteous wrath and death and his disheartened and disbelieving disciples would disperse. That night, his chosen disciples the leaders of his new covenant visible church, those to whom he would entrust the word and sacraments ministry would all abandon him. Even after he gave them the grace in his supper. Scandalizo, to fall away. It's related to our English word, scandal. To fall away can refer to apostasy, meaning walking completely and finally away from Christ. Apostasy is not losing salvation, it's hypocrisy laid bare. It's, it's faith, it's a fake faith exposed. It's the lie coming, coming into the light. But to fall away can also mean to fall into serious sin or to have sincere faith waver. And this is the sense in which Jesus said the 11 would fall away. Their sincere faith would waver. They would succumb to sin and temporarily abandon Jesus. Verse 56 confirms it. Then all the disciples left him and fled. One reason that we know that their falling away was not a full and final apostasy like Judas's is the prayer Jesus prayed at the supper. After affirming that each of the 11 belonged to God and belonged to him, Jesus prayed this, while I was with them, 
I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He was keeping and guarding them all along, and he would continue. Another reason we know it wasn't full and final apostasy was that unlike Judas, who didn't repent and killed himself, Jesus promised in verse 32 to gather them together again in Galilee. Well, more on that in a bit. Jesus wanted them to be aware of their spiritual weakness and need. Jesus even highlighted Peter's weakness. He told him with emphasis now, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He wanted Peter to think about his weakness and think about his spiritual need. And Luke records Jesus giving Peter the promise of relentless grace, repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, 32, Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's profound grace. Peter's faith would waver, but it would not ultimately fail because Jesus would sustain him and through repentance, Jesus would bring him back. Knowing the future unfaithfulness of his disciples, did Jesus keep the unfaithful and unstable from his table? No. He brought the unfaithful to his table to give them the life-sustaining grace they needed for their unfaithfulness. Now, some people, they reflect upon their lives and they say something to the effect of, I wouldn't change a thing because it has all made me who I am today. And there's some truth to that, but I disagree. I would change a lot if I could go back. Why? Because I sinned a lot. I wouldn't want to repeat that. And yet, I can see how Jesus never abandoned me. I faltered. I failed. I fell. Jesus kept me through it all. Calvin said, God does not cease to recognize as his sheep those who are driven out and scattered in every direction for a time. God does not cease to recognize as his sheep those who are driven out and scattered in every direction for a time. Do you know your sinfulness? Your weakness? Your need? Do do you... Know that Jesus knows you will sin against him and you will falter in the future. Yet he still gives you grace in preaching and at his table. He brings you to his table for this reason. So receive his grace by faith. Though your spirit is willing to obey Christ, your flesh is weak, and your faith sometimes wavers, so you must ceaselessly depend on Christ. Despite Jesus saying they would all fall away, listen listen how confident Peter was. Verse 33, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. What were the others thinking? Now, I believe Peter was sincere. 
Jesus said Peter would deny him three times. Yet Peter, hey, boom, exclamation point, verse 35. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter was all in. I mean, he, he meant what he said. He was also acting like a fool and naive. Again. But Peter loved Jesus. Verse 41 is telling they were in the Garden of Gethsemane together. Jesus was very sorrowful and suffering, and he called out to God in agony. He also knew what faced his disciples, and so he exhorted them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Were they praying? Were they crying out to God for mercy and grace? Were they depending? No, they were sleeping. They prepared for their trial by sleeping. Jesus prepared for his trial by praying and depending. You know, good intentions are not enough. Wanting to follow Jesus is not enough. We must depend on Jesus, receive from Jesus, Abide in Jesus. Note Peter's self-confidence. Note his bold statement of superiority and allegiance. Note that in Gethsemane, Peter slept instead of prayed. Note that he left Jesus and fled with the others. And later in verses 69 through 75, Peter sat outside in the courtyard of the high priest as Jesus suffered a travesty of justice inside the critical eyes and pressure of some servant girls and bystanders were enough for Peter to deny Jesus three times, thus swearing, I do not know the man and the rooster crowed. And we find out from Luke that the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter's self-confidence was undone, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. One of the things I'm needing to accept in my life is the fact that my firstborn is now faster than me. My spirit is willing, but my legs are are weak. Last year, I gave Jeremiah an incentive for his track season if he beat my mile time uh, that I ran at four some years old. Uh, He'd get a reward, and he beat my time. And this year, he beat my time by, I think, over a minute and a half. Um though I had been faster at longer distances. (laughs) And at the Move for Life 5K the other week, I started out fast, baby, with my music pumping in my headphones, and he started out faster, and I never caught up. (laughs) And he beat me by over a minute. I was still a faster sprinter, but he just beat me the other day, though I was wearing Sperry's which are not good for running, so I rematch, all right? But anyway, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. You are facing things right now every day that are completely beyond you, beyond your ability. And if you don't feel that, you're not in a great spot spiritually. You want to follow Jesus, but your flesh is weak. Your faith will waver. You need the grace of your Savior and Lord, and you receive it by depending Upon him. You need his means of grace, the word and the sacraments, ministry, 
even prayer, to meet the challenges that he has for you in order to persevere. Don't go it alone. Don't trust yourself. Don't neglect the means by which Jesus sustains your soul. Instead, ceaselessly depend upon Jesus. Rosalind Carter, Jimmy Carter's wife, said, you have to have confidence in your ability and then be tough enough to follow through. Michelle Obama said, your success will be determined by your own confidence and fortitude. Unless we think that this humanistic approach is embraced only by first ladies, the Dalai Lama said, with realization of one's own potential and self-confidence in one's ability, one can build a better world. Did that kind of self-confidence help Peter and the other disciples? See, self-confidence is naive unbelief that prevents you from depending on Christ. Now, why do I say that? Self-confidence is the enemy of faith. Self-confidence is naive because it assumes that sufficient strength is found inside oneself. Self-confidence says, I have what it takes to overcome whatever comes my way, which works against depending on Christ. Calvin wisely said, and therefore, whenever any temptation is presented to us, let us first remember our weakness. That by being entirely thrown down, we may learn to seek elsewhere what we need. And Calvin was exactly right. When temptation comes, and it will, our first step must be to remember our weakness and inability. Doing so forces us to seek strength somewhere else. Calvin continued, and next, let us remember the grace which is promised that it may free us from doubt for those who, forgetting their weakness and not calling on God, feel assured that they are strong, act entirely like drunken soldiers who throw themselves rashly into the field, but as soon as the effects of strong drink are worn off, think of nothing else than flight. It's true. We must remember that we are weak and that Christ gives grace to those who depend on him. It's the self-confident who face temptation and forget their weakness and fail to depend on Christ. And so they succumb for they were too weak and they were unprepared. I say naive unbelief because at the center of self-confidence is not only naivete, but also unbelief. P Peter was so self-confident that he actually contradicted Jesus again. Jesus said, you will all fall away. Peter said, I will never fall away. Jesus said, you will deny me three times. Peter said, I will not deny you. Talk about smug. You're not in a good place when you tell the son of God he's wrong. Peter's self-confidence prevented dependence. The foolishness of self-confidence is illustrated well in this short uh, fable here. An eagle swooped from out the sky and carried off a sheep. A raven, seeing him, said, I could do that too if I should try. His meal comes mighty cheap. Of all that well-fed flock was one, as fat as fat could be. The raven rose and lit upon her back. She seemed to weigh a ton, so very fat was she. 
And oh, her wool was wondrous thick. It would have made a mat. The raven's claws are caught and stick. He's played himself a pretty trick to fly with one so fat. Ba-ba, caw-caw, cry bird and beast. The shepherd comes at last. Sir Raven, who would find a feast, is from the woolly one released and in a cage kept fast. The raven's self-confidence was his downfall. There are at least three downfalls to self-confidence. Number one, it denies the integrity and truthfulness of Christ. Two, it underestimates human sinfulness, weakness, and need. And number three, it undermines the sufficiency of Christ's power and grace. Paul didn't say, for when I am self-confident, then I am strong. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, why is that? Because depending on the grace of Christ alone makes us strong for our temptations and trials. You face sin every day and face the falling away. The potential of falling away is a daily threat. Lust is waiting up ahead. Anger's around the corner. Gossip is wrapping its arm around you. Discontent is whispering in your ear. Idolatry is sitting right in front of you. And selfishness is creeping up behind you. You can't win if you go it alone. Self-confidence equals loss. So dear ones, depend, believe, trust, and receive, or you will not have what you desperately need. Though when you depend not on you, but on him, he grants you his grace to endure and withstand. There's massive grace in these verses, but it's easy to miss. Jesus doesn't allow his beloved sheep to fully and finally fall away. He will always rescue and restore you by his grace and spirit. Jesus never loses his sheep. Unbelievers and hypocrites in their sin and misery, all right, they fall away. They've never belonged to him. He, he, he never knew them. They never responded truly to his voice. But his sheep. Those who belong to him, he always brings back no matter how far they stray. Always. Jesus explained for his disciples in John 10, I give them, and he was talking about his beloved sheep who belong to him, eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Is that comforting? His faithfulness and love know no bounds. Westminster Confession of Faith 11.5 helpfully explain how the sheep sometimes wander and come under their shepherd's discipline, but never his condemnation because he always brings them back. It says this, God does continue to forgive the sins of those who are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his approval restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith in repentance. Do you understand that? Those who are truly justified 
will never come into condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but those truly in Christ Jesus do sometimes fall under God's fatherly displeasure because of their sins. The the light of his approval is concealed for a time until by the relentless grace and spirit of Christ, they humble themselves, confess and repent of their sins, plead for mercy and renew their faith and repentance. Listen carefully. The joy of salvation is only restored through repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. It is not enjoyed by continuing in sin. Consider verse 32 carefully. Jesus said, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now that might not seem like much, but that's a promise of relentless grace. Jesus promised again that he would be raised from the dead. But not only that, despite the certainty of his disciples' lapse, he promised to gather them together again to himself in Galilee. I will go before you to Galilee, which means that though they would scatter, he would bring them back to himself in Galilee. Verse 32 is Jesus promising repentance, promising reconciliation, promising restoration, and promising relentless grace. He would not abandon them. They would not fully and finally fall away for he would preserve them because they were his. Now, if we jump ahead to after the resurrection, it was the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary headed to the tomb. The angel told them about the resurrection and they saw the empty tomb with their eyes and the, and, and the angel said, go Excuse me, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And as they ran excitedly to tell the 11, Jesus met them. And he told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The the men who fell away. The men who faltered, failed. The men whose faith gave way and wavered. Jesus called his brothers, his family. They belonged to him and he brought them back. It's interesting. My friend Tom, who I just talked to uh, this week, pointed out to me something that I had never seen before and considered before. When Peter denied Christ, he had warmed, warmed himself at a charcoal fire outside of the high priest's, uh, or in the high priest's courtyard. And in John 21, when Jesus met Peter and the others by the Sea of Galilee, it was upon a charcoal fire that Jesus made the disciples' breakfast, including Peter. And it was after this charcoal-cooked breakfast that Jesus restored Peter. Three times Peter denied Jesus, and three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter affirmed his love for Jesus. Jesus told Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. The Lord did not abandon Peter. Instead, he extended lavish grace to Peter and gave him a way to express his love for Jesus in how he served the church. 
Christ's church. Not only did Jesus forgive Peter after egregious sin and after his faith wavered, Jesus restored Peter to gospel ministry. Did Peter fully and finally fall away? No, because Jesus was graciously sustaining Peter even when he was denying him at a charcoal fire. Now it's perplexing to me why some professing Christians redefine God's sovereignty and believe that Christians can lose their salvation. What's comforting about that? It's not true And that kind of theology promotes legalism, self-righteousness, self-dependence, doubt, and despair. Maybe they think being assured of salvation encourages sin. Maybe they think the threat of hell motivates people to godliness more than grace does. One denomination expresses its official doctrinal position on the assurance of the believer with these self-contradictory words. Listen carefully. While believers are eternally secure in Jesus the Christ. Now that's a great start. I'll sign up for that. I'm feeling the comfort. But then they add this. We can forfeit that security. Well, that means our security is entirely up to us because God can't keep us. That's not good news. And the statement continues, God will not keep us against our will from creation. God has given us free choice. We choose to respond in saving faith to God's offer of salvation, and our life in Christ continues by choice. That's fraught with problems. But notice that they didn't say our life in Christ continues by grace alone, through faith alone, which the Holy Spirit graciously works in our hearts by the gospel. They had the opportunity to say that, didn't say that. No, no. They link assurance and perseverance to our performance, to an act of our will. That's frightening considering how prone we are to wander. And they go on to say, by receiving Jesus, we do not surrender the right to make subsequent choices. And then they give this theologically terrifying idea. If a child of God chooses to abandon or renounce faith, God respects that choice. If that's true, how do we make sense of Matthew 26? Right? This passage changes entirely if Jesus would have said, you will all fall away because of me this night, and I will respect your choice. Aren't you glad he didn't respect their choice? Aren't you glad he said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Our comfort in life and death is Christ's promise to sustain us even when we sin and our faith wavers. And relentless grace is not meant to lead you farther away from Jesus. Why would we come to that stupid conclusion? Repent of that terrible thought. Relentless grace is meant to lead you closer to Jesus, to endear you to Jesus through faith and repentance. Relentless grace endears us to Jesus. 
What is your comfort when you sin big? What is your comfort when your faith wavers? Though your flesh is weak and your faith sometimes wavers, the grace of Jesus defends, preserves, keeps, and restores you unto eternal life. Of course not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter his kingdom. Of course there are Judases. Of course there are hypocrites who act the part for a time but perish in the end as the parable of the sower teaches. But all along they were bad soil never producing any fruit. Our comfort in life and death, beloved, is belonging to Jesus and believing that he loses none of his own and always tracks them down with his relentless grace to bring them back to himself. That's what he did with the 11. We have every reason to believe that Jesus Christ has the same grace for us and for our wayward children, our wayward spouses, our wayward friends. Right? That, that's his relentless grace. We believe that that grace is for those who bear the mark of Christ's promise. Not a guarantee, but certainly an occasion for hope. What is your comfort when you sin big and your faith wavers? What is your comfort when you face not the possibility of sin and wavering faith, but the certainty of it? What is your comfort when your loved one has fallen away? Is it not the relentless grace of Christ? When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last, bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Though your flesh is weak, though your faith wavers, your comfort in life is that Jesus defends, preserves, and keeps you by his grace. And when you falter and fail, he is holding you fast. Follow this truth as it leads you back to Jesus again and again and again. He is with you and he holds you fast as you fall into the dark hole. But remember, he's with you in the dark hole with his relentless grace in order to pull you up and out in order to see the light of his mercy and grace once again. You fall only to be raised up again to commune with him more closely and more intimately. God will not respect your choice to fall away. He will bring you back because you are his. How? By the leading of his Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel at work in you. To you, Christ's little flock, take heart. Though your faith, though your flesh is weak and your faith sometimes wavers, the grace of Jesus defends, keeps, and restores you unto eternal life.